Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. Well, we've been in a series called Running with the Giants, and I do this series. Uh, I've done it every year in the month of August, and really what it is it's an opportunity just for us to take biblical characters and we just kind of study their life. And if we could do a little walk or a little journey or a little ride in the car with them, or, you know, if you're on the golf cart, you know what I'm saying, you golf in. If, you know, maybe you're swinging some clubs, I'd be hacking some clubs. Come on, golfers in the room. But you're in the golf, club, golf cart, and you're just saying, hey, what's one piece of advice that you would give? What's something you would tell us about our lives today for 2022? And uh, what would you say? And so we just, we kind of study someone's life and kind of what they, we believe what they would say today. And today I want to talk to you about the life of David, the life of David, an incredible man, actually the only man in the scripture that the Bible says that God called a man after his own heart, a man after God's heart. He was one who loved God, who followed God. Um, And so I want to talk to you today about his life. And if we could take a little journey with him, a ride in the car, or a walk with him, or a run with him, whatever it may be, you know, I think he would say, I think he would say this. I think he would say, never stop pursuing God's presence. I think he would say multiple things, but I think one of the things he would say is never stop pursuing the presence of God. And I want to show you how he did that in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, what's happening here in this scripture is the, the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence resided, okay? It was where God's presence was, and so the Philistines stole it, ca- captured it, kidnapped it, whatever you want to call it, and they, were, they, they took it, and David wants to get it back, and so he goes and gets it back, and that's where we pick up in the story, in the scripture, in verse 12. We're going to read a few scriptures, so y'all just stay with me today. It says, then King David... David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything that he has because of the Ark of the Covenant. So David went there and brought the Ark of the Covenant, or Ark of God, back uh, from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all yes so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy with a blowing of ram's horns but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David Michael the daughter of, daughter of Saul looked down from her window and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord she was filled with contempt haters going to hate come on somebody in verse 17, it says, They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Verse 18, When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. They all, then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned to his home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. 
and I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated, humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. What's happening is David, the Philistines steal or kidnap or capture the Ark of the Covenants, and David goes and gets it back, and he's celebrating the whole way back. He's, he's excited, and he's worshiping, and he's, he's sacrificing, and he's dancing with all his might, the scripture says, and his wife, Michael, sees him and says she's so frustrated with him because he's dancing, and to her... He's embarrassing himself. And so he, she makes sure to tell him, hey, I want you to know you embarrass me. You embarrass yourself. What are you thinking? And he says something incredible. He says, listen to me. That's not what matters. He says, if I have to, I'll be even more undignified because that's not what matters. And so this is where we kind of pick up. And I want to talk to you about really, really how David was a person who always pursued the presence of God. And I want to talk to you about that today. And I want to go back to verse 12. It says, so David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David where there was with a great celebration, with a great celebration. Here's what David did. David, he was one that always welcomed the presence of God in his life. He was one that always welcomed. It says he went and got the ark of, the, 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 of God. He went and got the presence of God and he was bringing it back. He wanted to welcome the presence of God into his life. We must be a people. Uh, if we call ourselves Christians, believers, that are always welcoming the presence of God into our lives. And people say, well, the ark of the covenant, you know, Jesus came and Jesus died and now the, the Bible says that, that the veil was ripped and now God's presence doesn't reside in an ark. Now the Bible says that the Holy Spirit uh, now dwells in us, so the presence of God is in us, and that's true. But I do know this. You can, you can live with somebody and them not be invited anywhere with you. Let me explain. I remember when I was in college, for those college students in the room, I, was, I had a college roommate, and let me tell you something. I'm just going to be honest with you. Jesus loves him, but I don't. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? I, Jesus loved him. Praise God. I'll pray for you, but I don't love you. You know what I'm saying? I'm still working through it. God's still doing some things in my heart. It's been 20 years, but it's okay. But here's what I know. This dude, let me tell you something. He, was, he lived with me. We were in the same, we were in the same ho- in the dorm home, whatever you want to call it. And I remember, no joke, like every time I would go to the grocery store, and I was a college guy, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. It's all okay. But I lived off of snack pack puddings. Come on, somebody. I haven't had a snack pack pudding in about 20 years. But let me tell you something. Those things are tasty. Come on, somebody. And I lived off these things. And I remember I would have these snack packs and I would put them in the refrigerator and I would literally put literally signs that would say, do not eat Jordans. You know what I'm saying? Exclamation point. I kill you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and literally I would go in the middle of the night because that's what college dudes do. And I'm like, mm, I can't wait for a snack pack. You know what I'm saying? I'd go open the refrigerator and the snack packs were gone. And he had eaten all the snack packs. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves him, but I don't. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing, he, he lived with me, but let me tell you something, he was not welcome in any part of my life. Oftentimes, this is what we do as Christians, as believers. We know God lives with us and he's around us and he never leaves us or forsake us, but are we welcoming him into all areas of our lives? Are we welcoming him into our relationships? Are we welcoming him to our finances? Are we welcoming him into our, in our, in, into our jobs and our homes and our, and, our, and our children and the way we parent? Or if you're a child or a student, are we welcoming him in the way that we treat our parents? Or are we welcoming the presence of God in all areas of our lives? Because oftentimes what we do is we say, yeah, God's for us and God will never leave us and God will never forsake us. That's true. But we can also live in such a way where the Holy Spirit is literally dwelling inside of us, but yet we never welcome him or invite him into the areas of our lives that we know we need him. 
And so it's important as Christians, as believers, we would say, I want to be a person that welcomes God. Well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. I want to show you how David did it. In Psalms chapter 55 and verse 17, it says, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. An incredible way to invite the presence of God into your life is through prayer. Last week, we talked about prayer. If you missed it, if you weren't here or didn't catch it online, you can catch it online. But we talked about Daniel and how he was a man uh, that prayed three times a day. But isn't it interesting that David says right here, evening and morning and at noon, three times a day, he prays. The same thing that Daniel did. Why? Because they were both people that knew if I pray, I'm opening up and inviting the presence of God into my life. This is why it's so important that we don't just pray right, right before we go to bed or right before we get up in the morning or right when we get up in the morning. We should be people. Listen, you work, get into your workplace, find a moment, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30, it doesn't have to be long, but invite the presence of God into that workspace. If you get to school and you're in that classroom, listen, you don't have to be all loud and shout, loud and, and, and shouting and standing on chairs and throwing tater tots, telling people Jesus loves them. You don't have to do that. All you gotta do, take a moment and just say, hey, you know what, Lord, I'm in the stillness of this moment. Lord, everybody's teaching, everybody's doing stuff, but God, I wanna welcome you here. Why? Because I know when the presence of God shows up, things change. My heart changes. Things around me change. It's so, it's so important that we would be people that are live a life of prayer. Why? Because we want to be people that are always inviting the presence of God into your life. We should be people for those that are married in the room. Pray with your spouse. If you have children, take time to pray with your children. Why? Because, again, you're inviting the presence of God into those relationships and into your home. Praying is a great way to invite and welcome the presence of God. Psalms chapter 119 and 97, it says, Oh, how I love your instructions. This is David speaking. How I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Another translation says I meditate, them, meditate on them all day. This is the concept of understanding, okay, how do we invite the presence of God? We pray, but also we can open his word. And as we read the word, we're actually inviting and welcoming the presence of God into our lives. This is why it's important. I tell you, listen, don't just be a person that just reads the Bible, just kind of scans through it. Oh, okay, I checked my box. Or, oh, it's kind of old, and I don't really understand it. Find you a translation that you do understand and start to open the word. Why? Because it's allowing you to take a moment to welcome the presence of God into your situation and into your life. The word of God is literally the breath and the life of God. It's the words of God. And so it, they're, they're alive and so they can encourage. It can, it can refresh. It can renew. It can challenge. It can convict. But we have to be people that are willing to open it and read it. Why? Because we want to be people that are pursuing the presence of God. Open the word. If you're a parent in the room, I would encourage you. This is why it's so vital to find a time where as a family you open the word together. If it's weekly, if it's monthly, if it's daily, to be honest, that's between you and your family. But I do know it's vital. Why? Because we can't be, hear me, parents in the room, we can't be people that just say it. We got to be people that model it. We can't be a people that are just telling our children love Jesus. We got to be a people that model loving Jesus. We can't just be a people that say, tell your student or your child, invite the presence of God into your life, live for God. No, we need to model that in our lives. Why? Because what they see is how they'll live. What they see is how they'll live. And so here's the thing for all of us, for those that are parents, all of us, it's important that we would challenge ourselves and okay and say, okay, I want to create time. Well, I've never done that before. All good. Well, I don't know what to do. All good. 
Well, well, it might be awkward. All good. In the end, all that, none of that matters because the presence of God is so much more important than it is how we feel in a certain situation, whether it's awkward or not awkward. Oh, my student doesn't want to do it. That's all right. They live with you. They're going to have to do it. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Help me out, parents. Come on, y'all. And it's, this is vital because, again, it's an opportunity for us to welcome the presence of God into our homes. Uh, Psalms chapter 29 and verse 2, it says, Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in his splendor. An incredible way to welcome the presence of God into your life is through worship. This is why we start our services with worship. It's not so that we can get you revved up. You know what I'm saying? Okay, like I got, I got to get, I, I've been sleeping late. You know, I got a lot going on. Okay, now I'm going to get, I got to get revved up so I can hear the word. No. We worship because we want to start with welcoming the presence of God into our services. It's the same thing with you. Take moments in your life where you take time to worship. Worship is not just when we gather corporately. You can worship on your own. You can put a song on, get your headphones on, do whatever you got to do, and take a moment where you can just honor God and worship him. Why? Because when you do that, you're inviting the presence of God into your life. And again, when we invite and welcome the presence of God, things change in us and through us. And so it's so vital if we're going to be a people as we evaluate and look at David's life. And I believe he would say, listen, never stop pursuing his presence. Well, how do we do that? We do that through studying the word and reading the word and opening the word. We do that through praying and seeking him through prayer. And we do that through worship. These are ways that you can invite and welcome the presence of God into your life. Second Samuel chapter 6. In verse 13, it says, When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps... He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David was one who welcomed the presence of God, but then also, I love that David made surrendering part of the process. Every six steps, they would give these sacrifices. Every six steps, so one, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. Everybody stop, sacrifice. Oh, finish your sacrifice, six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Everybody stop sacrifice. Now let me be, be honest with you. They believe that this, this walk or this journey from where the Ark of the Covenant was to where Jerusalem was, was at least five miles long. Okay, so five miles. I don't know if you've ever walked one mile, but if you walk one mile, that takes a long time if you're every six seconds stopping to make a sacrifice. This must have taken either all day or maybe even multiple days. We don't know. But we do know that every six steps, David said, we're going to stop everybody. It was a whole ordeal. It was a parade of people. It wasn't just David and a few people carrying the ark. It was people blowing trumpets. It was people singing. It was people shouting. It was people following. And every time, every six steps, they would all stop and they would, they, they would make sacrifices. Why? Because it's a picture of surrender. And this is how we as Christians, as believers, are to live our lives. As we serve God, as we welcome the presence of God, then as we're walking out our life, we would constantly be surrendering our lives to him. Surrender is not a one and done deal. It's not, okay, God, I surrender my life to you. Okay, God, I, I, I want to go to heaven. I believe in you. And so now I become a Christian, and now I don't ever have to surrender at all. No, and surrender, I believe, is a daily thing that we do. Paul says, I die daily. He was 
constantly dying to himself. The Bible says that there's the flesh, the human nature that's fighting against our spirit. And so the human nature is trying to win. The spirit's trying to win. Well, how do we allow the spirit of God to win in our lives? By surrendering to him, saying, okay, God, my life's yours. God, what is it in me that's not of you? Because I want to see that and I want to surrender that to you. Why? Because I want this to be a constant process of pursuing your presence. And I want to be a person who carries your presence around with me. And how do I do that? Surrendering to you. It looks like surrendering our agendas. It looks like surrendering the way that we think. We, surrendering being right and wrong. Surrendering our, our problems. Surrendering our, our finances. Sur- whatever it may be in our lives, that we'd be a people that understand the, the surrendering process is a constant, everyday thing. And, oh, man, that's so hard. Oh, i got to always be giving stuff to God. Man, God's kind of needy. Oh. Well, here's what it is. I believe this. That if you look at surrender as I'm always giving something, then yes, it is a very needy process and it's a very hard process. But if you look at it in, this, in the way of, I understand, it would be like this. Let me, let me stop. Let me say it this way. It'd be like if I told you, I'm going to give you a Ferrari. In order to give you a Ferrari, you're going to give me $20. And then you give me the $20. You got to give me something. But for the $20, I'm going to give you the, fer- the Ferrari. Everybody would be like, oh, I'll take that Ferrari for $20. I'll give you $20. Where's the $20? I'll give you $20. 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, Why? Because we know what we're giving up is nowhere near as valuable as what we're getting. It's the same thing with surrendering to God. We let things go, but we realize what we get, relationship with him, presence of God with us, living with us and dwelling in us and around us is way better and far greater than anything we ever could give up on this planet. Can I get an amen? Somebody help me out. It's so important that we would understand this. This is a process. Okay, so yes, we surrender, but it's not, oh, God's just so needy. No, it's that he knows our hands are full with things and he wants to bless us with greater things. And the only way he can bless us with greater things is if we want to let go of the things that we have. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Let's be people that make sure that we're constantly surrendering to him. Second Samuel chapter six and verse 14. I love this. It says David danced before the Lord with all of his might. He danced before the Lord with all of his might. He didn't go halfway. He said, I'm going all the way. He said, I'm going hard in the paint. Come on, somebody. He danced with with all of his might. And I love this because David kept God in the center of his life. He kept things God-centered. He kept things. It says he danced before the Lord. And I love this because Michael, his wife, gets frustrated with him. And he says, she says, I can't believe you would do this in front of all these girls. I can't believe you would do this in front of all these people. I can't believe you do this. And he's, he, he was not dancing and not worshiping and not honoring and celebrating based on for others around him. He was doing it for God. And it's so important as Christians that we would do the same thing, that our lives would not be based around what someone else is doing. And so we make them or the certain situation the center of our life, but we would always keep God in the center of what we're doing. For those that are young people in the room, your parents can carry your your relationship with God while you're young. And you can go and you can hear and you can even sometimes experience God based on your parents' relationship. But let me tell you something. At some point, let me tell you something. Your parents' relationship will not carry you. Why? Because your relationship is supposed to be personal with God. Because here's what I know. The Bible says that every tongue, every, church, every tribe will all bow at some point to the name of Jesus. We'll all meet Jesus one-on-one. Let me tell you something, students. Your parents, when you meet Jesus, it's not going to be you and your parents. It's going to be you and Jesus. You're responsible for you, your relationship. 
For those that are in a relationship, maybe you kind of like, yeah, I'll go to church because she's hot. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm going to church because she wants me to. And I feel like that's what I have to do because I, I want her to like me and I want her to be kind. Or I'm trying to find my, my holy honey. Come on, somebody. So I'm going to church. And so I need that holy honey, Lord. So I'm going to just show up. And here's what happens. We can base our relationship with God on, based around a relationship. And we'll say our lives are God-centered when that's not the case at all. Our lives are focused on some separate relationship, and here's what happens. Those relationships will start to carry us, and then without us getting God in the center, and then over time, those relationships will cause regret in our lives. We have to keep God in the center of our lives and say, you know what, God, I want to pursue you because of you. I want to pursue you. I want to, I, want to ch- I want to chase after you. I want your presence not because someone what someone thinks of me or what someone may say about me or because someone else is doing it. God, I want to do it because I desire to know you more. This is what David did, and I love it. And I love in chapter 6 and verse 22, he says, I will become even more undignified than this. I'll become even more undignified than this. I love this. I love this. His wife's all mad at him. Come on, somebody that's married in the room. His wife's frustrated, and she's, she's like, I can't believe you. You're so disgusting. You're so nasty. I saw you dance in front of all those girls. Who you think you are? She's probably throwing stuff. She's so frustrated. And I love David's response. David doesn't get caught up in it. David's not like, no, that ain't who I am. You better, mm. no, no, here's what David says. He says, yeah, you may have saw that, but this is what I want to know. Because I'll do it before the Lord. He says, I'll do it. I'll go even more undignified. I'll humiliate myself if I have to. Why? Because I'm not doing it for you and how you feel or how I feel or how someone else feels. I'm doing it because of how God is, thinks and feels about me. And I want to honor him with my life. We oftentimes in worship, in our generation, in our culture, we have become, created this concept of worship when we gather or when we're doing it by ourselves privately, whether privately or corporately, we have this thought process of, is if I worship, I'm going to feel something. And these feelings are going to come over me, and then I'm going to feel good about whatever it is. That's not what the purpose of worship is. The purpose of worship was never to be pleased. The purpose of worship was to be pleasing to him. The purpose of worship was never to be pleased. The purpose of worship was never to get something from God. The purpose of worship was to please him, was to give to him. Does that make sense? I'll show it to you if you don't believe me. I'm glad you don't believe me. I'll show it to you, okay? Psalms chapter 19 and verse 14, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. It doesn't say, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart please me. Oh, may, may, may it make me feel so good about the way that I'm living my life. Oh, may it make me feel good that I checked the box, that I, I sang some worship songs. No, it's God, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth, God, may it be pleasing to you. Why? Because my heart is I want to keep everything God-centered. I want to always be honoring you with my life. And the cool thing about David was saying he would be even more undignified. David had status. David was the king of the entire kingdom. Not only did he have status, David had popularity. Everybody knew who David was. David was not on that street. He would have been like the greatest celebrity you could think of on this planet, probably times more than that. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody saw him on the street. Everybody knew who he was. He had reputation and popularity. Not only that, but he, he, he had all the money you could think of. He was probably considered the richest man to be living on the planet at that moment. He had status, he had, he had, he had uh, a reputation, he had money, and he was an adult. 
A lot of times we think worship and we think singing and, and, and clapping and, and doing these things, or whether that's for the young people, they're the passionate ones. No, David was an adult. He had money. He had all the excuses that we would say are the reasons why we don't, or we aren't, we don't passionately pursue the presence of God. David had, and he said, I'll do it even more than this. Why? Because none of those things matter. Why? Because my life is meant to honor him, not anyone else. Doesn't matter what you look like or what you sound like. Doesn't matter how much money we make. None of that matters to God. What he matters, what he cares about is our heart and that we would be people that continue to honor him. Amen? All right, let's keep on moving on. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins. I love this. He, David welcomed the presence of God. He made surrender a part of the process. Then he's keeping things God-centered. But then also, I love this. He goes and gets the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. He brings it. He's worshiping. He's sacrificing. He's celebrating. He's praising. And he gets to Jerusalem and he puts the Ark of the Covenant in the tent. He has a few more sacrifices. And then the very first thing David does is this. So interesting that he brings the presence of God back. He worships. He's, he's surrendering. He's doing all those things. And the very first thing he does is that he goes and he gives to the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Come on, somebody that's been fasting, a cake of raisins. You don't doesn't normally sound good, but it does right now. Come on. Like a cake of raisins, I'd eat it. Come on, anyway, so it doesn't matter. That being said, isn't it interesting that the very first thing that David did once he received the presence of God was serve? See, the presence of God will move us to serve others. The presence of God, if you get around the presence of God, if you get around who God is and you get close to him, at some point, the overflow of that is gonna be, I gotta serve others around me. Why? Because we start, to, we start to get around him and we start to know his heart and we start to experience him. And then well, here's what we do. Because we're experiencing him now, we want others to experience in him, hear him. So now I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to do what I need to do. Why? Because I understand that the presence of God is not just for me. It's for all those around me. And so my heart goes from just wanting to receive it. Now I want to give it. This is why I love our church. I love our church. We have a bunch of passionate people for Jesus, that are, are people that love the presence of God, that love God, that pursue God. And then from the overflow of that, they just want to serve. They want to serve anywhere and anywhere they can. I love that we just spent last weekend at, at Sable Palm Elementary School giving out 300 backpacks. Why? So we could serve our community. It wasn't so that those people or those kids or those families could give us something back. No, it was because we were so passionate about Jesus that we said, you know what? We love God so much and we've experienced him. We want others to experience him through us. And and so we're willing to give and serve others around us. This is why if my heart is that I don't want to serve, if I'm, if I'm not interested in serving, I don't have the desire to serve now, it's not just I need to check my heart for being selfish now. It's I need to check my heart. Am I really close to the, the one that really is the one that served us with his life? Because I'm telling you, if you're close enough to God, because Jesus said it in this scripture, he didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And so if I'm close enough to him, if I'm pursuing his presence, the overflow of that is at some point going to be, I need to serve others around me. And I'm not just talking about this church. 
Yes, please. Hey, three services. Help a brother out. Come serve. You know what I'm saying? But that's not just talking. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about our neighborhoods, serving our neighbors. I'm talking about our schools, serving our classmates and our teachers. I'm talking about in our jobs, serving people in our workplace. We think our workplaces, we got to do all these things to climb the ladder and to get ahead. No. What if we started to serve instead of trying to try to cut down and try to get ahead? No, serve them. Why? Because in the end, the lower I go, I know God's going to lift me up. We need to be a people that serve. And so again, in my heart, if I get to the point where I don't want to serve, okay, I need to question my, my, my closeness with God. Why? Because I know if I'm close to God, I know my heart's desire is going to overflow to want to serve others around me. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Second Samuel chapter 7, as we close today, and verse 1. This right here is the very beginning of the seventh chapter. All we had just talked about went on in sixth chapter. And the chapter ends, and it goes from, from, from those things where his wife's upset with him. He says, I'm going to be more undignified than this. And he's keeping things God-centered, and he's giving to, to those in need. He's serving. And then the very next thing that happens, it's so interesting. Oftentimes we read chapters, and we think, new story. We think chapter one, chapter two. Well, well, when the Bible was written, obviously y'all know it was not in chapters. And so we oftentimes get chapters where we think it's a totally different thing when really this is right after what had just gone on. And it's so interesting that we see. It says, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. So interesting. David, he welcomes the presence of God. He goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant. He's surrendering to God, making sacrifices in the process of, of doing this. And as he does this, he's, he's doing it for the Lord. He's keeping God at the center of it all. And then, not only that, then he gets to the point of where he starts to serve others around him. And then the most interesting thing happens. The scripture says that God gave the king, who when he was in his home, he, the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. Now, if you know the story of David and the life of David, David was known as one who was always at war. He was a man that was always at war. He was always at battle. He was always fighting. He was always winning. God was allowing him to win most of his battles, almost all of his battles. And so he was a man known for war. But in this period, in this scripture, it's so cool that literally the Bible says he brings the presence of God into Jerusalem and then God gives him rest from all of his enemies. Isn't it interesting that David finds rest in his enemies once the presence of God is back in, the, in Jerusalem. It's the same thing with you and I. Oftentimes we search the whole earth for things that will give us rest in our souls from the battles within. We search in doctors and medicine and, and people, and I'm not against doctors and medicine. Let me tell you something. I'm all for doctors and medicine. That is not what I'm saying. But we can go through all these things and all these people and all these circumstances to try to find rest from the anxiety, rest from the depression, rest from the stress, rest from the sickness, rest from the financial pain, rest from whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever the struggle or the war is. We search through the whole earth to try to find rest when God is showing us in this scripture, the rest is found in his presence. And God's presence gave David rest from war. 
And so oftentimes we have these battles that we face as humans and we are searching and we're doing and really it's literally right under our noses. It's the presence of God. As we seek God, as we go after God, as we surrender to God, as we welcome the presence of God, here's what happens. God will begin to give us rest from the struggles that we face. I love it. In 2 Chronicles, show you a scripture, chapter 20 and verse 22. Here's what's happening. There's three kings that are about to attack the Israelite army. And King Jehoshaphat at the time, he's so worked up. He's so rattled. He doesn't know what to do. He just prays. He's like, God, he thinks it's over. And he says, God, he's praying to help him, God to help him. And God tells him, just, just relax. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to win the battle. And then this is what happens. They says that now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set up ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and then they were defeated. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say the Israelites went out, they sang, they worshiped, they invited God, and then they went in, they started slinging their swords, and they started getting wounded, and they were getting beat up, and they were getting hurt, and they were, they were fighting, and they were struggling, and they were exhausted, and they were trying, and trying, and trying. No. The scripture says that they started to sing and praise what is that? It's worship, an opportunity to invite the presence of God and welcome the presence of God. It's surrendering God. We don't know what to do right now. We have no idea, but God, we're going to trust you. And the Bible says something shifted. Something happened where God then said, okay, I hear your worship. I see your hearts. I see your, your, your prayers. I hear your prayers. Here's what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to fight for you. See, oftentimes what we do is we try to fight our battles on our own when God is just wanting us to say, no, hold up, hold up, hold up. I want you to invite the presence of God into your life. And then I just want you to trust. I want you to sing. I want you to worship. And then I want you to put it in my hands and watch God do what only he can do. Because I know this. Every battle that I've ever faced in God's hands, I'll always see victory. Every battle that we will ever face, I know this, in God's hands, we will see victory. If it's in my hands, let me tell you something. I'm going to lose a lot. And let me tell you something. I've lost a lot. I don't know about y'all, but I've been, I lost a lot. And let me tell you something. I don't like losing. You know what I'm saying? But the God that we serve, the God that we believe in, the God that we invite into our lives and our worlds that we surrender to, he is an undefeated God. He has never lost. And oh, my goodness, let me tell you something. I'm about to get real excited for a second. Even when Jesus died and everybody's like, oh, no. No, he lost. Oh my goodness, it's over. We tried, we struggled, we fought, but we lost. Even when it looked like a loss, God was at work. And he came up out of that grave. And let me tell you something. He, he now still and showed us that he's undefeated. I want to encourage you in the same way in your life. You may be going through something. And you feel like, man, I've been losing. I've been getting beat up. I've been exhausted. Let me encourage you. We serve a God who is undefeated. Put it in his hands and watch him do him. It may not look the way you want it to look. It may not sound like the way you want it to sound. But I can promise you this. If you put it in his hands, you trust him. He's going to come through like you never could believe. This is why we're worshiping tonight. We're, we're spending an hour 
of our time corporately together. I'm so excited about tonight. Why? Because I believe that as we gather together and as we begin to lift up the name of Jesus, we're not coming together and gathering tonight so that we can have this great feeling of who we are or we can hear some beautiful voices. None of that matters. Let me tell you something. We could be off key all night because God don't care about what we sound like. He cares about our, our hearts and how we're honoring him with our lives. And so here's what it is. As we worship, as we honor him corporately together, here's what's going to happen. We're welcoming the presence of God into our lives. And I believe it. The Bible says that he inhabits or he enthrones or he sits on the praises of his people. Meaning this, as we praise, he starts to show up in a way that we've never seen and we've never heard. And so here's what happens. Now, when my marriage is in all kind of distorts, I start to worship. God can start to renew your marriage. If something in your body is sick, you start to worship. God can heal your body. As we corporately gather, as we worship, we let God fight the battles for us. And I'm believing tonight. Oh my goodness, I hope you come. It's going to be packed. It's going to be awesome because I believe when we start to worship tonight, God's going to fight battles for us and we're going to see victories. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see healings. Why? Because that is the God that we serve. All we have to do is be a people that are willing to welcome him. Be a people that surrender to him. A people that glorify him and honor him in all that we do. A people that are willing to serve others around us. And are people that are willing to say, I'm going to trust you, even with my battles. Why? Because I know you're an undefeated God. And I know in your hands, my life will always be greater than when it's in my hands. I'm losing my voice, praise God. I want to encourage you today. I don't know what your life looks like. I believe God has called every Christian to be a pursuer of his presence. Oh, wow. I've been a Christian for a long time. I didn't. I think every person that calls themselves a Christian, we are called to be people that pursue his presence. Oh, well, I got a lot of money, and oh, well, people look to me, and oh, I'm kind of a leader in my community, or I'm kind of like, I'm like the CEO. David was the king. And he said, I don't care what others think. Why? Because I know his presence is always more valuable than someone else's opinion. And as we pursue God, hear me today, I believe this. As we pursue him, I believe he'll show up like never before. Amen. Can we pray today, Father?